Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. If you wake up out of a sound sleep with a broken elbow, are there paranormal implications? Could UFOs be living creatures? Can the occult be addictive? Hello there, and welcome to the 330, uh, 343rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those far-ranging questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So tonight we have an open-line show for all of you. Uh, that means we have no guest. So as far as our emails go, uh, please know that any time is a good time to call in. Uh, that made no sense. But just call in if you want to talk, have a chat, you know, all that good stuff. So call locally or from Canada. The number is 401-766-1240. Again, that's locally or anywhere in Canada. It's 401-766-1240. And it's 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. Again, that's 800-449-1240. But first, it's time again for our weekly paranormal contest. So this week's question, or last week's question, was uh, what part of Australia has more reported UFO sightings than any other part of that country? Well, Martin Short from London, uh, we've heard from him before, got the right answer. Like the actor. I wonder if it is. I don't know. He's goofy enough to be interested in us. Anyway, the Northern Territory of Australia, uh, where there is apparently no end of UFO action. All right, so this week's question is, what is another term for the abominable snowman? The adorable snowman. Yes, yes, the abdominal snowman. Yeah, right. Only if you have uh, pandas. So you got to forgive it. We're rather silly. We had a long but very, very interesting weekend in Vermont. We were speaking in uh, Montpelier. And, and, uh, yeah, Vermont's a very interesting and sort of silly place at times. <laughs> All right, so if you get that right, you will win a copy of Footsteps in the Attic, which is my dad's most popular book. Well, I'll just repeat those phone numbers again. People say we we should do that uh, locally or from Canada or anywhere else for that matter, 401-766-1240 or in the USA from anywhere, 800-449-1240. Or you can write us, uh, if, if you uh, would like to answer the question, certainly, you can uh, call us or you can answer during the week if no one gets it during the show uh, by writing to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or ben at behindtheparanormal.com. Now to our emails. This one, this is one of the more unusual ones we've seen lately. And again, we don't know any of these people generally and, and, uh, some of the real, really interesting ones can be can be kind of far out. But hey, you know, you know, you never know. We give people the benefit of the doubt. We tend to have very intelligent listeners. Okay, this is from Miranda in Tacoma, Washington. Okay, the great so KJAQ in Seattle. Awesome sauce. All right, so Miranda writes to us. Uh, my name is Miranda, and I'm 29 years old. And on August 17th, or August 7th, 2011, I woke up at 2 a.m. to use the bathroom, and then I returned to my mattress and laid on my back and went back to sleep. Then I woke up at 3.15 a.m. to an extreme pain in my right elbow area. I started yelling uh, from the pain, which woke up the house. My father came into the living room hallway. 
and uh, said what or asked what is wrong, and I replied, "My arm, my arm." Uh, he flickered on the light and said, "And said, look at your arm." And it was completely red and extremely swollen, and uh, flip and flipped the opposite way. My mom uh, rushed me to the ER when I was informed my elbow was broken in three areas. Uh, I had dislocated it and uh, had several torn tendons. Ow. Uh, I don't sleepwalk, and I was in the exact position I had laid back down in, and uh, and, uh, I sleep on a mattress that's on the floor. I was treated like I was losing my mind, and in return, after coming home from the hospital, I was hearing voices as well as 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 objects uh, moving. Uh, I need I need answers because this is uh, still unsolved and I am no closer now. Then uh, I I was uh, uh, I was then to have I was having answers whatever that means. Uh, there were also times my entire body uh, would where out of nowhere would become covered in goosebumps as well as uh, me hearing footsteps. Uh, I or my name being called, and when I go uh, to ask what did you want, my parents look looked at me and uh, said, "What are you talking about?" So okay, yeah, thank you, Ben. That's uh, <clears throat> this is uh, very interesting. Uh, most of the things that she mentions are typical of perhaps you might say a parasite uh, situation, but of course, uh, waking up with, with, with broken bones is obviously a very, uh, rather unusual and violent occurrence. Now, of course, uh, should this, if this is all there is to it, and if this is accurate here, n- not to doubt you, Miranda, but I mean, as far as if we're interpreting uh, your writing correctly, we have something here that does rather parallel some of the stuff we have seen in parasite cases. You know, I'm thinking of Ben as the, uh, the case, the, the, the in the dark case from the book Faces, uh, Footsteps in the Attic that, uh, in Burlville, Rhode Island, where the, uh, the, the man woke up and had bruises on his body from the- Yeah, I've heard bruises and things like that, and, but that also parallels with, uh, what's it called, um, uh, alien abductions. Well, that's it. We often cite the case of 03 when we were in West Virginia and we were on the speaking roster with Bud Hopkins, the late Bud Hopkins, uh, and he showed us a, of course, he was a great, uh, researcher in alien abductions. And he had a photo album, a really, 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 really thick one that had various injuries that were supposed, pictures of injuries that were supposedly rendered to people during abductions. And, and they, they, the first thing I could think of is this is just like some of the stuff you see in poltergeist activity. But that's extremely violent. I don't, I don't remember ever hearing something that's like. Well, the closest I, I, I came was, was in the Bridgeport case of 1974, oh, the yeah, poltergeist outbreak. But, and I myself was injured. But I didn't, it wasn't in my sleep, and I certainly didn't miss it because it was a flying television set that hit me in the leg. Exactly. And not not woman, while you were asleep. I mean, you'd, you'd think you'd, you'd, uh, know when that would happen, which yeah. it's strange to me that, well, there's one thing I'd like to know first is, was there anything going in the house prior to this event, or did it all start immediately after? Yeah. Also, what was the atmosphere at the time? Sure. I mean, how, Okay, what what do we got here? Now, now from what we know, uh, Miranda is is 29 years old and and apparently still living at home, which is very common today. And you know, because the economy being what it is, you have several generations at times living in the same household. We do at our house, indeed. And uh, you know, a house is big enough; we all have our space. There are only four of us, but you know, your your brother is is uh, you know. 
well, twenty going to he's going to be twenty nine this year. We love him. He's great. He helps us out with mm-hmm. our work, and it's a great it's a great relationship, and it's a great family, great house. But I think sometimes uh, in situations that are not as fortunate as ours, you might have a lot of stress and tension there. Yeah. Because uh, years ago, I mean, centuries ago, people would live together. You know, I think generations maybe in houses that were the same house or close by. But uh, today, uh, the, lot of the economic situation is creating a lot of stress. So I just I don't I notice that you have a 29 year old uh, woman, I guess here certainly, uh, with her parents who are skeptical about what happened. Uh, but such a violent event, I would say, is a matter of concern. Yeah. The, in the Bridgeport case, and this is the worst that I saw was there was a broken toe. Because one of these television sets fell over and and hit the the woman who lived in the house right in the toe, and she when I when I was arriving at the case uh, site, she was coming back from the hospital with, with her toe all bandaged up. Mm. But a broken elbow, elbow that, that, broken. That, in three well, places. that seems like it would be more of an accident, like an unintended consequence. This seems like it was that it was really intent to harm. I mean, broken yeah. in three places, and then well, we don't know. But yeah, there's another possibility here. And we often talk about this because we say that whenever you have a case going on and you've got an entity there and, and say uh, oh, something falls off a shelf or there's some sort of uh, issue with doors opening and closing, people assume it's, quote, the ghost opened the door or the ghost pushed the thing off the shelf. But that's not necessarily the case. Uh, we were speaking in Vermont. I used the analogy of, of, of us... Uh, running down the hall or walking down a hallway, stirring up the air in the hallway, and some papers on a desk nearby falling off, not because we pushed them off, but because the conditions we created or the conditions that existed in the hallway, such as air in the room, you know. Really quick. Yeah. Uh, the answer to the question, could you please write it down? Oh, sure, okay. I, I'm sorry about that. Uh, we, we have a possible answer to our question. Um, it's just the... Uh, I'll write it down and show you here. Okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, it's quite simple. Oh, we have a winner. Yes. Oh, all right, great. Okay, well, well the winner is... Uh, and the, the, uh, the word, of course, uh, the answer to our question is Yeti, a four-letter word for abominable snowman. And... Uh, Ben's going to get the information. Make sure you get the address and the phone number. Well, and we'll get the uh, the book out to you. Congratulations. Okay, but again, to continue with with, with this injury issue, uh, we have uh, another possibility here, especially in the dream state. I have uh, more than suspicions, but some evidence from the dream state that we are in in or in contact with. Many of our subconscious lives, that is, you know, if you listen to the show regularly from our theories, involve parallel worlds. Uh, this is from taking quantum physics to its um, logical or illogical conclusion, the multiple worlds theory. And uh, this is the only, over the years, uh, 40 years or so that I've been doing this, the best explanation for what I've been seeing in paranormal work is this multiple worlds theory of quantum physics. When you are in the dream state... You tend to be, I think at times, depending on who you are and what sort of uh, abilities you have, uh, are between many of these worlds or in the subconscious worlds where maybe you have had such an accident and it somehow uh, collapses the wave function, as a physicist might say, or the worlds join and you you wake up with a broken elbow. I suppose that would make sense, but then why all the activity after that? Oh, no, well, well, that, that, see, these are the conditions... That I'm talking about. 
you know, the unintended consequences and some of the conditions. In order for a parasitical entity or any entity that we call paranormal or we, 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 we label as a ghost or anything can, can manifest, in, in our experience and opinion, what has to happen is that these parallel worlds, the boundaries have to become blurred. The Native Americans called this these uh, thin places where the boundaries were blurred. They blend and you can see things from another world, so to speak, UFOs, ghosts, and all this stuff. And there are creatures such as these parasites who seem to be able to as part of their life, and they're part of nature, go into other worlds, or at least reach in and and feed on whatever happens to be there. And in our case, this energy. And it sounds crazy, but that, that's what we've seen over all these decades. So, it is possible that she had just enough contact with a world in which she she really did have a broken elbow and uh, kind of pulled it back into this world, like those shamans pulling back those guys who had died here who hadn't died elsewhere. And yeah, true. They turned up here, all that sort of thing. <laughs> it's the same kind of pattern. So that, so that's uh, that. That might be. It might, might not be an entity that did it, or it might be uh, not have been an accident. She didn't realize she had it. Could have been a parallel world experience. Well, there's, a, uh, there's a lot of, of unpleasant there, kind. There are a lot of explanations for this but we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle to put it together no, no that's there are true. a lot of things i mean for one thing there could be activity before this sure. other parasitical nature so yep. we can't outrightly say oh well you did this to yourself in another world and brought it back over here no, no, that it's is not fair this yeah is, that is yeah. that is a possibility but some of those are earmarks of parasite activity as well as earmarks of having other multiversal experiences mm-hmm. in that household so if all the ducks are lined up in a row you can have either or of those explanations in there. True. Or someone could have just come in and just curb stomped her arm. They, they, yeah. There, there are, there are some, there are a lot of, there are a lot of ways to interpret this. But if we had a wee bit more information, we could definitely decipher which one way or another which one it would fit best. Yeah. Well, we we are going to be contacting Miranda off the. I keep saying that, and and we do it, but we you know we we are swamped with requests for help really from all over the world and it's really difficult to keep up with but this sounds uh, that's ex- why extraordinarily we need serious and so. that's why we need interns <laughs> right are we uh, putting out of that for int- I, I don't know that means training and uh, a lot of people aren't used to thinking the way we think yeah i know you know give, we, give we don't some, need give, uh, give people some credit give people some credit okay all right i, I will all right but any in any case here she's also refer miranda's also referring to hearing voices once you get back from the hospital and objects moving one of the things you look for in uh, any sort of a, a experience of paranormal phenomena in a house is uh, not only you know who else is seeing these things and are objects moving that you could not have moved yourself. Yeah. Uh, because certainly people hearing voices and seeing things is often interpreted as schizophrenia, but we've talked about that umpteen times that maybe people really are experiencing other worlds in the and it's being diagnosed as schizophrenia because we don't have the can't get beyond our narrowness to see it. And a name being called. That's a very common thing in parasitical experiences. Uh, Our case, we were looking into in Vermont. Uh, While we were up there this weekend, uh, we were speaking at the uh, library in Montpelier. We also were were visiting with some some, uh, people who have become friends over the years because of a case we've been been investigating on their property. And uh, they will hear voices uh, of family members calling their names, and nobody's really doing that. In other cases, we've heard voices of family members calling certain people and insulting them or or saying things that were obscene or or inappropriate uh, to stir up, uh, in our opinion, uh, 
anger and tension in the family because that's what these things feed off of. So this this is a looks like a parasite case at first glance, but we don't make any judgments. I will get in touch with Miranda and get some more information about that. Okay, and our winner, uh, Liz Kula from North Smithfield, Rhode Island, the winner of our contest today by guessing that the adorable snowman is really the Yeti, <laughs> something like that. Okay, indeed. All right. Indeed. Good now job. here's one. This is on an entirely different subject. A very interesting question from Carrie K E R R I in Auburn, Massachusetts. Okay, so Carrie writes to us. Hi guys, uh, I heard you often suggest that orbs could be plasma life form, plasma based life forms uh, living around the boundaries of parallel worlds. As Ted Phillips once said on your show, uh, more and more UFO reports are of orbs. So could some UFOs be living creatures, maybe from parallel worlds, but creatures that live in the atmosphere? Okay, very interesting question. As uh, if you heard the, the show prior to ours, our good friend Joe Ferrier uh, was was uh, speculating here and there. You know, could could this be true? It's not a new idea, but it is an idea that has not been given much much thought. Now, this the first thing I thought of when I heard this was that we have been saying often lately that many of the connections between the paranormal events that don't seem to be related, ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, and all this business, they're often thought of as entirely separate fields. But nothing is really entirely separate from anything else, especially in this multiverse we're talking about. So I think perhaps that uh, many of the conditions that exist can allow various kinds of phenomena to occur, or and or the context in which you see these things determines what you think it is. In other words, as we were saying recently, if if you're sitting in in your dining room and something floats by you and kind of waving, uh, you know, wispy, it's a gaha, a ghost. But if you see the same thing with with a, a silver disc hanging over it in, in, out in the field someplace, aha, it's an alien. Uh, Carrying a dish and all. Yeah, 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 that sort of thing. You know, saying uh, where's the telephone or whatever. But that's that's the idea. So anyway, uh, I think it is entirely possible and has been speculated upon by exobiologists or what are now referred to as astrobiologists, people who study uh, the alien life or where it might be, and then if, if it's discovered, hopefully study what it is, that there could be planets in which the, the conditions are right for creatures to literally float in the atmosphere and feed upon what's what's there, because there is a lot of stuff in, in the upper atmosphere of a number of planets that we know of, and uh, be a literally look, look, I suppose, like UFOs. Mm. The orb thing, of course, is, a, is an issue that's quite interesting. Many of the uh, ghost hunter type people will have orbs in their photographs and say, aha, you know, they call them spirit orbs, you know, and they, they just in photographs look like large blobs of light. Sometimes they almost look like cells, uh, cells, C-E-L-L-S in the biological sense because they have... Uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, plasma, yeah, nuclei and so, yeah, almost. things like that. Uh, sometimes they have faces in them or what looks like that. It could be nuclei because... I don't know, but, uh, but again, I don't know either. Yeah, that's, what just, that's just what. Well, I again, digital cameras interpret what they're seeing, and uh, but but of course, uh, very often they're dust particles on the lens or snowflakes or something like that. So you really don't know, but they do. I, I can uh, verify that they do exist because I have seen them with the naked eye, and, and I'm thinking of several places in particular where they will follow you around and seem to act in a semi-intelligent manner. They'll change colors, Indeed. and one thinks of ball lightning. I remember there's someone, uh, a friend of mom's who uh, had 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 a ball lightning experience in her house. Turn around and there's this sort of a, a, a spark, a sort of a sizzling, crackling 
electrical kind of feeling. And there was this piece, this bit of ball lighting, and bang, it just exploded right in the middle of her dining room. Well, there's also, um, like, if UFOs could be living things, or some of them, there are skyfish. Like the skyfish. That's phenomena. very true. Yeah, yeah. Although they they, they keep trying to uh, what's the word uh, debunk what skyfish are. I mean, I yeah. remember I watched. I think it might have been Monster Quest or something like that back when that still existed. They were talking about skyfish, and they were like, "Oh, well, it's just uh, moths flying really fast." Or well, you, you do like a stop motion. Yeah, yeah. You set yeah. your camera to stop motion. Yeah. So then you just like pick up all this stuff, and it's they're like, "Oh, well, uh, being like that couldn't actually exist because that doesn't make sense." It's like, well, I mean, sometimes a lot of things don't follow the laws of physics. <laughs> well, that, that's true in the multiverse. I mean, one one of the principles seems to be the various worlds have have different. The different laws of physics, but to explain what skyfish are, they're also known as rods, and they seem to be uh, mostly, I guess, sort of, sort of whitish creatures. With uh, how would you describe their their, their flight with the almost fins that yeah. undulate? Okay, they don't really flap, and they do tend to fly through the uh, through the atmosphere. And there were proto. I can't remember the prehistoric, the, the, the term in paleontology, some sorts of insects that look like that. Yeah. In perhaps the Precambrian. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, just, I, just, I can't remember what they're yeah. called either. So, uh, but none of these, several, there are, there are photographs of these things that are several feet long, but I, I suppose they might, seeing things in the air, it's very difficult to judge size and distance. So I suppose they could be responsible for some of these things. So th- that might be a living creature that is interpreted as a UFO. But I think when you see even videotapes of of these um, UFOs that look like orbs, I'm thinking of several of them have taken over the mountains of Nevada. What, they, a, what about... Um you know that scene from Close Encounters of the Third Kind when the uh, police are chasing the uh, little, like, light UFO things? Didn't that actually happen? Well, actually it did, yeah. Uh, uh, Spielberg based everything in that in that movie on actual cases that had been reported, including 1964 encounter at uh, Holloman Air Force Base, where supposedly something very similar to what occurred in the movie took place. Yeah, yeah, supposedly. yeah. But no, there actually was a chase through Indiana and Ohio by police. Uh, actually, as, as I heard, it was one uh, object about the size of a house, but really strangely shaped and all weird lights, and that was flying above the road. And then eventually took off into the sky. Uh, similarly, uh, I suppose to that scene, those scenes in the film. Oh, okay. But the point here, of course, is that y- you see uh, objects doing uh, strange things, uh, circling rapidly and uh, traveling at impossible speeds and making strange turns. And you think if this is some kind of alien craft, that whoever is inside it is going to be pancaked by all these speeds and all this stuff. Yeah, all the G forces yeah. and stuff. And of course, uh, certain multiversal. Principles m- might obviate that and make that make that not a problem, but what happens is, of course, that you th- you can also think maybe these are living creatures who li- live in the atmosphere, maybe even of a world, and they sometimes pop into ours, as some people think Bigfoot just pop into our world or the Loch Ness monster, or whatever these these weird cryptids or any of these strange things do from time to time, if you believe that theory. So that that I, I think it's entirely possible these things could be. Um, living things. Ted Phillips, who was mentioned in this letter, is a man from Missouri. He's been on the show. He is a, a very 
soft-spoken, feet-on-the-ground kind of guy, was documented, I believe at this point, almost 4,000 incidents of UFO landings that have left physical traces and some sort of physical evidence. I'm thinking too, Ben, uh, not, not to belabor this point, but this is an interesting subject, uh, of objects that have left residue behind them in the 40s and 50s and 60s even, there there were reports of what people called angel hair. There would be a UFO sighting, and then on the ground later, near where it had landed or where it had hovered, there would be this very thin, semi-metallic stuff that was would be analyzed, or uh, and then everything was hushed up. All right, so who knows? And, uh, well, let, let's take a break. We'll get back to this in just a minute. But we're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stay with us. ON Radio wants to send you to see the Beach Boys 50th Anniversary Tour coming to Mohegan Sun Arena this Sunday. Round, round, get around, I get around. Tickets are on sale right now through Ticketmaster.com and any Ticketmaster outlet, but we want you to win them right here on the radio. Listen this week to Mike and Joe in the morning for your chance to see the Beach Boys 50th Anniversary Show Live. Brought to you by Mohegan Sun, your time to shine, and your station for summertime fun. Owen Radio. Okay, and welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com. And we're talking... In our show today, uh, it's an open line show. We have many different subjects that people have written in about. And we're talking about the possibility of UFOs being living creatures. And as we said to our friend Joe uh, Ferrier as he left today, you know, you can't get the right answers if you ask the wrong questions. So we have to consider all sorts of other possibilities here. Exactly. Uh, the question also reminds me of the Maury Island incident. Okay. I'd never heard of that. Okay. It was uh, around the time of the first incident that is popularly associated with the UFO era in America, and that was the Kenneth Arnold sightings of a bunch of UFOs flying near Mount Rainier. He was he himself being a private pilot mm. in 1947, because 1947 also being the year of the Roswell, Roswell crash, or the alleged Roswell It's really crash. weird how that all started happening around then. Yeah, well... But there were UFO sightings before that, but they weren't really as prevalent after that... Well, they seem to correspond with the development of the United States as a nuclear power, which is really interesting. We've gotten into that on the show, UFOs messing around with Yeah, and then before that, during weapons. World War II, when um, the Allies would fly over Germany, they'd see these things called Foo Fighters. They Foo- called them Foo, Foo Fighters. Fighters. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, which are the, basically... The Germans thought they were Allied and were terrified, and the Allies thought they were German and were terrified, and nobody... After the war, nobody could explain what they were. Exactly. But in any case, uh, this Maury Island incident uh, is... Maury Island is is a an island in the... Or actually, the peninsula in Puget Sound in Washington State. And this was logging country. So there was a, a fellow named... Uh, I think it's Harold, in my notes here, Harold Dahl, a D-A-H-L, like Roald Dahl, the children's writer we all grew up with. Or I didn't, but you did, Ben. And yeah, he, yeah. Uh, he would, his job for a logging company was to go out in a boat and find loose logs that might have bri- broken away from a bunch of logs that were being taken to the mill and, and collect them so they, they would be able to use them. Yeah. So that was occurring, and he had with him his son one day uh, some kind of deckhand from the company, and then there his dog. 
And all of a sudden, he reported seeing, uh, I think it was four to six objects, I can't remember which, shaped like donuts. And they were coming in over his, over the, the water, and then one of them was kind of over his, his uh, vessel, and it began to kind of wobble and, and kind of sink. And the others came down and, and looked as they were, for lack of a better term, it looked as though they were trying to help it. And they, they were able, it was as if, and they touched it as if giving it more energy, and it lifted up, and all this stuff started to come out of the center of this donut hole, so to speak. I mean, you couldn't make this up. And, and it started to fall into the water, and some of it hit the boat and killed the dog. And it seemed, uh, they got samples of it, Mr. Dahl and all the, and it seemed to be some sort of slag, but it had very little iron in it. So, and there were no iron smelters or any place that slag would come from in this vicinity. And, uh, so what one wonders is, was this a living creature, or discharging something, or was it ill? I mean, who knows? It's really, you never know. We have a caller. Well. Hi there, you're on WON, and welcome aboard. What can we do for you? Ben. This is Bob down the road in Cumberland, Rhode Island. Okay, Bob, how you doing? Good, thank you. Good. Do you guys know James Gilliland? Uh, as a matter of fact, I believe we do in passing. We're not, I wouldn't call him a friend yet, but... Boy, if you could get him as a guest on your show, what a great hour that would be. Well, well I'll make a note of that. That he is amazing. Um, you were speaking earlier of uh, a lot of orbs. Yes. Uh, he lives out in uh, a place called Trout Lake in uh, Washington State, mm-hmm. right in, uh, in view of Mount Adams, which is a sort of a mystical area. A lot of UFOs are seen up in that area. But on every night, you can go out there and you'll either see a fast-moving light going through the sky, and it would stop, and they would do uh, yell power-up or send a flashlight signal, and it would stop and, and get brighter. Every night they can do this. Plus, other people have seen orbs on the near the on the ground near where they're all sitting or standing. So there's a lot of mystical stuff going on. So get that guy on your show. Oh, I know just where you're talking about. Yeah, uh, that's where the, a lot of those photographs of those interesting creatures we sometimes refer to have been taken. Uh, oh, you mean um, Bigfoot? Uh, well, no, the the, uh, the the lion people and all the, these. Oh. They look. It looks like kind of like smoke, but you can see very clearly. Uh, and we, we had the photographer on the show with us, and, and we know him. But but no, I, I know Gilliland, uh, and, and I can get in touch with him, and I think that's a great suggestion, Bob. Yeah, great. Okay. I look forward to hearing that show. Okay. Well, you know, keep your eyes open, and we'll uh, we'll get him on. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Bob. Okay. Very good. Yeah, that is an excellent suggestion for a future guest. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. So, again... Um, I don't think we've ever had an, an expert on that particular area of uh, the paranormal on here. Well... Not that I recall, at least. Well, it's amazing. You've been on the show. For, we've been on the air for five years between Phoenix and here. I, and all. I don't. I can't. And, uh, I can't we, do. There are subjects we still haven't covered. Uh, you know, and oh, I was yeah. worried when we started. We we run other things to talk about. That's never a problem. Yeah, okay. no, we've been, we've been on forever. And we still but another thing that happened with this Maury Island incident, uh, I mean, living creatures or not, was it was one of the first recorded MIB incidents, so-called Men in Black, and this weird guy. And you know what happened with Dahl? He said. That, that somebody came to him in this, you know, black suit in a black car, very mysterious guy, took him to breakfast. You don't often hear that. Usually they just bother you and leave. But this guy was kind enough to take him to breakfast and said, you know, you should really be quiet about this. And he asked him a lot of weird questions like, are you happy in your family life? Things of this kind. Or what's it like doing this or that? And um, 
but but at the end he had, he he hinted that his family might be in danger if he could, if he talked about this, which obviously we're talking about it today. So I guess the guy must have. And the odd thing, well, how do we know that it's the exact account? Well, we don't. I mean, you never know with these things. Exactly. But but it, it is pretty certain that. Ironic, Kenneth Arnold, who was a reporter, or at least sometimes worked as one, was uh, one of the inve- who was the person who saw that one of these probably was considered the first major UFO sighting in the, in the U.S. at that time uh, was investigating this Maury Island case. So he was um, at least interested in the UFO subject. So it's very interesting, and there are all sorts of ins and outs to this, and who uh, who really knows? Okay, now here is here's an interesting one on a different subject from Mark. In Norton, Massachusetts, a lot, of, a lot of local people writing in this week. Oh, yeah, there's no problem with that. No, no. All right, no. so Mark writes to us. Hi, Paul and Ben. Uh, I love the show, and I heard you talk uh, from time to time about the ghosts, or as you would say, the multiverse interactions where pets have died, but uh, live on in a close world where we can see or hear them. You have talked about cats and dogs, but have you ever talked about, uh, or have you ever heard of uh, ghost goldfish? Goldfish. Yes. Okay. Uh, I not? I have had uh, goldfish since I was a kid, and there was one big one I had for a long time. And this fish would really uh, make a splash uh, when I uh, came up to, fe- uh, to feed him, or when I came up and he would eat at feeding time. Uh, sometimes I would hear the splash outside uh, during the feeding times, and he would just come up to look around. Uh, maybe I'm crazy, but this fish died about a month ago, and I still hear that splash. And the other fish are half as big and, and uh, could never make that same sound. Uh, two days ago, I actually saw the splash, uh, and there was no fish near it. The water just splashed, and the other fish were very quiet. Uh, is my house being haunted by a fish? <laughs> uh, that's not something you hear every day. Uh, but, you know, wh- why not? I mean, what what is a haunting? In our experience, it's simply uh, the normal state of the world, which is apparently the space-time is like Swiss cheese. There are plenty of worlds where this fish never died or where your mother never died or where your loved one never died, whatever. And uh, these worlds impinge upon each other all the time. Uh, the, the, so uh, even if you didn't see the fish, I mean, in, in, in some close reality, the fish is still there and... Everybody else is still there. You know, you hear people when it comes to these pets talking about, well, I still feel the cat brushing up against me, or I still uh, hear the dog. You know how they, you know, their, their tails will bang on the floor when they yeah. wag sometimes, and and the people still hear that. Um, th- didn't you have a, or, my, or I'm thinking of somebody else? What are you talking about? A uh, friend, friend of yours uh, who had some kind of pet. Th- uh, no, maybe, maybe I'm not. I don't. If you explained it more, I guess. No, no, no. I'm I thinking. Probably, of, no, it was, it was someone else who wrote in. I'm sorry. Okay, I thought it was one of your friends. It's, it's okay. Cause, but but you it know. is a common occurrence. Oh, you got Karen Anderson, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Karen I Anderson. The, don't know uh, how you got me mixed up with Karen Anderson. You don't even look like her. But, oh, well, thank you. Know, you. All right. Well, anyway. Um, so yeah, I think it's entirely possible that your, if in your terms, your house could be quote haunted by a fish. Uh, we, we've heard Karen has has had experiences with uh, reptiles and uh, things of this kind that seem to have, uh, um, I suppose, a multiverse activity going on, or, or were, were speaking from after they had 
passed away in this world or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, I think it's entirely possible. And this is a really kind of uh, kind of interesting. Uh, I would get a little concerned if um, you know things started levitating off the floor or you get hit by TV sets, as I did in Poltergeist cases. But uh, I, unless that fish. happens, I just say, hey, you know, your fish. Um, just uh, say hello to him next time you see him. So there we are. Okay. Moving on from there. Moving on. Let's something see. completely different. Uh, all right. Here. Oh, here. This is this is kind of interesting one. I suppose in a way, this might get back to the orb thing. But let's check this out. This is from Kathy in North Carolina. Okay. So Kathy writes to us. Hi guys. I not only love your show. I think you are way ahead of the curve on paranormal thinking. And I think uh, you are really onto something with your ideas about how all the paranormal events are connected. And I think you are right about context. I live in Burke County, uh, North Carolina, uh, not from where uh, they see see the brown mountain lights. I mean, I've seen them myself. Uh, they look like orbs, uh, flying saucers, ghosts, or just about anything, uh, depending on how you look at them. Uh, what do you actually think they could be? Okay, well, this kind of matches up with what we just read about the possibility of living creatures i have not seen those myself we have been through that area but we were doing other things and the they do look like some of these videos i was talking about taken in nevada or many other places the lights are going around in circles and they, they don't seem like craft but of course the context is that they're on this mountain where there was a battle between settlers and natives, and people say, aha, it's the ghost of the Indians, and also, so again, depending on where you see it, that's what you think it might be. A lot of people interpret it as the ghosts from the battle. Uh, other people might say that it's, uh, you know, a more scientific mind might say, well, it's a seismic in origin, because some of these lights are seen uh, before, Earth, I'm not talking about the brown mountain lights, but lights in earthquake-prone areas are often seen uh, before earthquakes occur. However, I wonder why that is. Well, I don't because. Well, wh- wh- what do you do when you take a piece of flint? You make sparks, right? Yeah. You bang oh, it together. So it okay, seems to uh, okay. occur on the geological level. However, just as with the sparks, when, when you're knocking two pieces of flint together, yeah, it's very quick. And many of these earthquake lights, as they're so called, uh, are really quick. They just flash. I've seen pictures of them. And they don't seem to be steady, and let alone moving around, moving at, at the fantastic speeds. And yeah. So again, uh, it, it's, it's a question of who knows. It's just some swamp gas. Yeah, but could maybe. <laughs> I suppose some of these things really could be swamp gas, but I don't, I don't know. But, uh, I, was, I was attempting to make I, I'm joke. not aware that Brown Mountain is a very swampy area. But, uh, I think what the, but again, I think the living creature thing. Oh, then there's our theory. That the that many orbs are living creatures uh, that feed around these world boundaries, and that that's why they're so present in areas where they are if that are thin, as we said. I suppose. I suppose. You know. Uh, so there we I have mean, it. it. It makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, it it, it fits. Well, I ought, well because things can fit and not be true. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I do think back with you know forty, thirty, forty years, twenty, even twenty years ago. We would take a lot of photographs. I've always relied on, on photography, oh, but only if I take it myself because I know I haven't photoshopped it or anything. Yeah. And we didn't see uh, a lot of these orbs, okay? We th- we would, when you used old-time cameras with old film, old instamatic cameras, old these old 35 millimeters, 
They weren't. They, they were not. I, well, I'm not going to say they weren't there at all, but they weren't. They weren't very common. Not like they are today. There would be he, b- balls of bright light, or, or, or sort of globs of bright light, but not like individual no, lights like, like all over not the like place today. Yeah. So I'm wondering if it, it doesn't have something to do with digital photography. On the other hand, I've seen plenty taken with non-digital standard cameras. Yeah. So it, I, is, it is. It is something of, of, a, of a mystery. It is indeed. It is indeed. And or the living thing. I don't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. You know, it's okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. Poor I ben. just I lose my train of thought, and now I had I had something valuable to input, and I just don't remember. I'm sorry. Well, perhaps I can refresh your memory. I just, yeah, I get excited about these things. But th- th- there's the issue of uh, the because um, I lost my train of thought too. Yes, see, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, but but the, the orbs and. Um, the possibility that they're living things and they're acting intelligently, and of course the elect the plasma nature of these things. Even even the great Carl Sagan, novelist and scientist who popularized much of this, was a man who thought there may might be plasma-based life forms somewhere in the universe, and uh, these could be these could be them. So, in any case, uh, we'll continue researching that and. Uh, the, the photography thing is interesting, but uh, not not definitive. So who knows? Well, we'll be working on that for yeah. the next while, so to speak. Okay, I think we might have time. We got yeah, rather, we have we have time. A rather long one here. Uh, Let's not do a long one. Well, this isn't that long. Uh, yeah. That's a short one. All right, it's only about as long as War and right. Peace, and that's from um, uh, Michael. Where is he? Uh, from uh, Petaluma, California. Oh, Petaluma, California. I've done a book signing there. Oh, yes, indeed, indeed. So, hello, Paul and Ben. I am a screenwriter out of uh, Northern California, and I've been fascinated with the paranormal all my life, uh, though I didn't have an actual uh, experience with it, uh, that is, until 2001. I had been living in Hollywood, and in January of that year, a good friend of mine decided to leave that crazy place and move up north to a sleepy little town in Sonoma County called... uh, Occidental? I think that's pronounced... Occidental? Occidental. Oh, that's the opposite of Oriental. Occidental means things of the West, as opposed to things of the East. Uh, Later, I found found out that my favorite minds in the world, uh, Terrence McKenna, also spent time there. Uh, It was there while living in a house in the woods next to an old cemetery called Druid's Cemetery that I would have experiences that would change my life forever. When I tried to describe the events that took place uh, there to others, later I would receive only crazy looks and dis- disbelief. Well, you came to the right place then. <laughs> uh, and if I, I hadn't uh, gone through it personally, I might have done the same. Anyway, uh, long story short, I recently came across uh, your name and your son's while doing some online research for a screenplay, and, and, I, uh, and as I read through your theories... It started to resonate deeply with what happened to my friend and I out there. The energies we were channeling, seeing, feeling did not feel or seem like ghosts. I never believed uh, we were living in a haunted house. It never uh, fit into that mold. It felt as if the location of the house uh, at the time and uh, what we were doing there, uh, we were recording a music album, uh, thinned the veil between dimensions and allowed us to peek at something extraordinary. As I read through your webpage, I was shocked and uh, delighted to hear what you described in detail, uh, or in detail, many of those entities, uh, little people, the giants and darker forces, uh, I saw 
all those things uh, with my own eyes. I'm running a pretty long message here. I've, we've had longer. So <laughs> I'll, I'll sum it up. Uh, ju- I just wanted to thank you for your insight, and I very much look forward to absorbing more of your experiences and thoughts through these podcasts. I ordered your books from Amazon and uh, blew through them in a couple of days. And I, I'd lo- I, I would love to talk to you and your son further about details of my experiences, if you would like, and keep up the great work. Oh, okay, I'm very... Uh wasn't really a question, but... No, no, no. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, yeah, I think we can find some time to get in touch with Michael, and, and uh, I'd like to hear about those experiences in, in more detail. We find that people who are multiverse aware, as we call it, uh, like our friend Todd Banks, who's been on the show, are very at home with a lot of these phenomena, because they realize this is the normal state of the universe. Uh, they realize that we perhaps live in kind of artificial environments that we create, that uh, we, we, we sort of create a world that's not real. And what is real are experiencing uh, our full selves in all these worlds and the, the wisdom that may come from that or, or, the, or the, the knowledge or the joy and, or sometimes uh, things that are not so joyous come from these things. And, um, you know, that's it's not, not, a very complicated, uh, not a very complicated thing. You know what I think is interesting is that he was recording a music album with his friend at that time. Hmm. So I guess, well, music's a very important part of the human society, but maybe it's more important than we think it is. You may be right. I mean, I remember once I had a teacher in high school who made a point that at the center of every atom, molecule, there's a vibration. So vibrations make up music, correct? Mm -hmm. So then music created the universe. Perhaps. Well, you're not the only one to put it that way. There's uh, many of the ancient Greeks believed uh, that, and there were a lo- there were a lot of very ancient civilizations. When I was researching the book Turning Home for, for writing the book Turning Home, uh, I researched a lot of the the very very ancient cultures that are what few are still left, such as the Australian Aborigines or the um, Andaman or Nicobar Islanders of the Indian Ocean or, or the the San and Khoisan Bushmen of Africa. Mm-hmm. They have a concept of that. It's a little vague sometimes, but there is a certain idea that there is music that is kind of at the center of the universe and that certain tones or words had to do with the creation and certain species operate. It's really quite fascinating. I can't say that I understand it. Uh, I studied music for years, too, but, but you are really... Your heart is really in, into music, and so any insight you had to say on that, I would take very seriously. Well, no, it's just very interesting that it can do th- that. Music can do such things. I mean, there there are forms of music that can change one's perception of things, mm. rather than having to use artificial means to break down one's. Uh, own senses, so to speak. That's very true, and you see that reflected in. Uh, well, there's bad and there's good. The bad yeah. is certainly reflected by by the the uh, spectacles put on by the Nazis uh, before and during World War II, and uh, they would have enormous rallies, and th- they would have, and it was wasn't just music; it was sight as well. They would have huge searchlights all around the thing, as if there was a, a hall of light they would create, uh, and then of course the music. 
uh, get people marching, and, and it, it, it did amazing things to the psyche that weren't weren't good. Yeah. On the other hand, in in churches, but I think particularly from the Eastern Orthodox tradition. Oh, yeah, music is really important. Oh, yeah. And, and, well, the whole senses. You, you worship with all the senses. There's always incense, and the, the church, the, the temple, or the temple as they call, is is set up uh, like the kingdom of God in the book of Revelation, and you have all these, these uh, sensory input, and especially the music. Uh, it's really, I think at times, it maybe with them it becomes a little too much, but you know, generally, uh, but, but you're right. They're, they're, they might be very, very important to us well, look at some of some um, some di- some different cultures and societies like uh, the a- like the Aborigines, uh, Bushmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, music's very very important to them. Yeah, yeah. it's very important in their ceremonies, or even uh, some mystical traditions of other religions like the Sufis. And they're they they are they have some very interesting music that it's really powerful very, for yeah, them. Yeah. That's an interesting Muslim tradition, the Sufis. Uh, they, they sort of stand apart, because they're considered heretical by most mainstream... Well, the Shiites and the Sunnis consider each other heretical, and they all consider the poor Sufis heretical. So, but in any case, the, the, their tradition and their music and their philosophy, very, very profound and very interesting. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, it's just so, again, a music, perhaps... I don't know One how more thing. It. There's yeah. also the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, of the tambora, which has one note, it plays only one note. Is that the singing bowl? No, 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 okay. no. Tambora is completely different. Okay, it plays one note, one singular note. That's it. But that note um, supposed to bring everything into harmony. From what I from what I remember, I, I had a talk with I had an email correspondent Murray Silver talking about this once. Oh, okay. And he was saying that t- the the tambora is. Like the almost perfect instrument because it only plays one note, and that note is perfect. Which Interesting. Is, which is it's it's weird. It's really weird to put because it's very hard to comprehend because it only plays one note. It's like well, oh, it plays one note. That sounds kind of boring, right? And, yeah. But for so, but it works. Yeah, we're going to be something very important here. Perhaps we should pursue this line of research. Indeed. Okay. Indeed. Well, very good. And uh, also, well, I'm, I'm, now I'm thinking of the, the didgeridoo. Right now, we have another a, idea for a show. All right, well, yeah, we do. That's the second, the third one. This, this, this show, uh, the didgeridoo, which is a, uh, it sounds funny, but it's actually a uh, native Australian instrument, a uh, very deep, almost like a recorder, a very deep woodwind instrument. Oh no, recorder is really high pitched. This is like well, they're really a tenor recorder. No, I know, but it's the same. Yeah, t- true. T- you know, quality of. Of sound, a very woody sound, but yes. very deep. And uh, many of their songs, and I heard a few when I was there, um, just just a few notes, and mm-hmm. very often a, a drone of of the same note too. So, and it does very interesting things to the psyche and uh, the spiritual state of one who's listening to it. Indeed, indeed, it's it's. In, but there's there's other forms of music too that are rel- that are actually. Ex- extremely new i shouldn't say relatively because it's it was only created not too long ago like maybe 60s 70s when Mm. it started becoming more prevalent and it's um very angry form music called noise core and what it is is basically feedback from different effects pedals or whatever or an amp in this case so it feeds back over itself and it's looped through a mixer 
and then using the different um, effects knobs on it, it's modulated to create different droning sounds. But it's really it's really very unnerving to listen to. I think that's the the greatest adjective I can use to describe it. It's extremely unnerving because I had a friend who was in this whole music scene of that and very not good um in the happiness department so mm-hmm. to speak is very very angry person and he he was he was like well known in his small subgenre circle that it was just it was scary stuff it was scary to listen to like i i had trouble listening to it mm-hmm. and I, I i appreciate all forms of music but this was just it was just scary so it touches something in people yeah uh, do people react the same way? No. <laughs> okay, interesting. It depends on who you are, I suppose, because I had another friend with me who was like, wow, that's kind of cool. And then I was sitting there, I was like, that scares the heck out of me. Like, it sounded like war and death like yeah, in yeah. just pure sound, which was scary. I just, yeah. I found it un- unnerving. And Very I, interesting. I was just like, I can't listen to this anymore, man. I don't know how you do this. Yeah. Well, because now we're getting stream of consciousness. We're almost out of time, but we're thinking of bells mm. uh, and their effect on parasites. Well, very often we'll go through a house, and I'll ha- I always have a child if they're frightened, especially you know, ring the the, the little uh, wind chimes things, and that's why there's an ancient belief that bells will frighten away demons, mm. and that's why churches have bells, right? And I, I think from what I've seen, the reaction of parasites. To bells, <laughs> that might be where that that came from. I wonder why that is. I don't know. That's again. This is an interesting line of research. Sound in the paranormal. Indeed, something we have to do. Well, we're yes, out of time. We, just about we, here. we will afraid to. Yeah. Okay. Get, Very quickly, I want to thank the people of Northern you Vermont. Can, you can you can take your time because two minutes is a long time. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, well, we want to thank the people of Northern Vermont, uh, certainly from the bottom of our hearts. We had a wonderful weekend up there. We spoke at the Kellogg Hubbard Library in Montpelier on Saturday. Had a wonderful crowd, and we had uh, we went an hour over our two hours that we were planning because people we because of discussion and questions from folks, and uh, certainly our good friend uh, Joe Citro, who has been on the show several times, was with us. Uh, Vermont's bard of the bazaar, as you call a marvelous uh, author of a number of marvelous books, and so we had a, we had a great time. We also uh, looked into a little bit more to another case we've been working on up there. So we well, thank you uh, for that. It was it was a great uh, great weekend in Vermont, and we'll be in Connecticut uh, on in July July nineteenth in Torrington. And we'll be uh, there for their their Main Street Festival. So I will give you more information on that. So we have nearly 400 podcasts of all our shows, and they're available at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And many thanks to our producer, once again, Ben, tonight running the board. Did an excellent job. Uh, we'll see you next Monday, May 14th, here on ON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com. And Ben and I will welcome back British author Gary Osborne for another discussion of the nature of our reality, specifically is our world what amounts to a computer simulation. Yeah, the Matrix over here. So on our regular CBS uh, edition, on Sunday, May 13th, in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, we'll visit the author and philosopher Terrence Aim to talk about the mysteries of the multiverse. Very interesting book. And we'll leave you this evening with a quote from His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who we are told listens to this show or has... If you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. Thanks for sharing with us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time.
return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.